This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, GYC. <clears throat> Happy New Year. I hope that you are blessed. Some of you have been blessed at GYC this year, or last year, I should say. Praise God. GYC, you have been trained, you have been equipped, you have been prepared, and now it is time to go back home to your individual churches, to your individual campuses, to wherever you may be, and start putting these things into action. Amen? Should have been a louder amen. Amen. Have you sensed God calling you to something higher in your life this weekend? Have you sensed God calling you to action in your life this weekend? Praise God for that. I believe this morning that God is going to bless us in a special way. I'm looking forward after this meeting to Pastor John Bradshaw. And uh, you're going to be excited. You're going to be inspired. One of my favorite preachers, John Bradshaw. And uh, don't idolize him. But uh, he's one of my favorite preachers, and so I'm looking forward to, after preaching, getting to hear a good sermon. Now, I need, a, I need your help with something. Can you guys, are you guys willing to help me this morning? Amen. I'm flying home today, and tomorrow is my eighth wedding anniversary. Eight years with my beautiful wife, and I'm so excited about it. And I'm wondering if you all would be willing to wish her, I guess in me too, a happy anniversary. She's watching right now on the GYC website. How many of you would be willing to help me with that this morning? So on the count of three, I'm going to say, I ask you to say, happy anniversary, Marion. Can you do that? Ready? All right, dear. I hope she's watching online. One, two, three. Amen. I wish you guys were that loud when you said amen during our... (laughs) Praise God. Thank you for that so much. You guys did a fantastic job. I want to invite you wherever you are. We have a lot to cover this morning. I want to invite you wherever you are to just bow your heads. And I'm going to kneel this morning and ask God's blessing to be with us. Father in heaven, we are delighted to be here on this final day of GYC. It is bittersweet. We're sad to see it go, but we're excited at the prospect of what you're going to do in us and through us in 2013. Lord, we want Jesus to come. We want the Holy Spirit to be poured out in a marked way, the latter rain. And we pray today that our hearts would be surrendered to you. We pray that our minds would be committed to you, that our lives would be passionate about serving you, and knowing you. And we pray today one final time that you would bless us with your presence and that you would draw close to us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This weekend we've explored the roots of the revolution, the driving force of the revolution, and the life of the revolution. We've seen how the word revolution is really a word that means revival and reformation. Amen? 
That is what revolution really is. Christ-centered, God-centered revolution is nothing more than revival and reformation. How many of you have experienced that during your time at GYC this weekend? How many of you want that to continue as you go back home? Praise God. Every revolution that in history always has one of two fates. One of two what? One of two fates. First, it will either die because the next generation is unwilling to sacrifice what the previous generation did, or it will continue and grow because that same generation is willing to sacrifice not just the same amount as the pioneers did, but even more. One of two fates. No revolution can continue in its strength without that generation being willing to sacrifice not the same, but more. The day finally came in the book of Acts when the original revolution was drawing to a close. The apostles, Peter, James, John, all these brethren were getting up in age. The time had come when they were ready to lay down their lives Paul stood in Rome, standing erect with heavenly dignity, and preached the gospel unflinchingly to the Emperor Nero, the most powerful man on earth in that day. And soon after, Paul was beheaded for his faith in Christ. Not long after that, Peter was crucified upside down. And many of the other apostles were martyred and killed in various ways. John was sent to the Isle of Patmos. And the revolution began to draw to a close. And it was time for a new generation to rise. A new generation to take over where those who had faithfully served were now gone. There was a young man in the book of Acts. His name was Timothy. How many of you remember Timothy? The Bible tells us that Timothy was like a son to Paul. And he was the one that Paul had selected among many others to continue that revolution that had begun. And it would be up to Timothy to continue that flame of the Holy Spirit. And before Paul's death, he charged Timothy to be faithful in carrying on that flame. As my brother Adam pointed out this past Sabbath morning, God has had faithful men and women down through time who have been willing to pick up where the others have left off. Now we sit at the edge of eternity in the midst of Laodicea, a Laodicean church with a hopeful promise that one final time God is going to do it again. Amen? Amen. We read a very powerful quote from the book Christ Object Lessons, page 121. I want you to notice this. They're going to be putting it up on the screen for you. It says, these scenes are to be repeated. To be what, everyone? To be repeated and with greater power. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former rain, but the latter rain will be more abundant. The Spirit awaits our demand and reception. Imagine that, friends. 
God is not waiting for some cataclysmic event to happen on earth. God is not waiting for the Pope to pass the Sunday laws. But God is waiting for His people to get serious about a revolution, to get serious about being on their knees and surrendering their hearts and their lives to Him. God is ready, willing, and able to pour out the Holy Spirit on us today if we're willing to receive it. Amen? In the final revolution, more must be done than was ever done before. More surrender, more prayer, more confession of sin, more Bible study, more sacrifice than any generation before. That is what must take place in the final revolution. We must receive the Holy Spirit as as if we have never had it like in times past before. Brothers and sisters today, I am more desirous to end this revolution than to continue it. I am more desirous to end this revolution than to continue it. I want it to be ended because I want to see Jesus come. I had a friend who just recently said to me, he just recently lost his mother. He's a pastor in Michigan. And I said to him, brother, what can I do? to help you. And he said, get to work because I want to see Jesus come. Get to work. Few people have displayed more love for God's church than Paul did in his day. He sacrificed everything in his life. Everything. I can assure you that if Paul was here today, he would be excited to attend GYC. How many of you think that might be so? And if Paul were here today, I can assure you that I would sit down quick, fast, and in a hurry. I would sit down at his feet and listen to his words. Amen? How many of you think you might do that? We wouldn't idolize him, but we would listen to his words. By the way, let me say something else about that. You know, in Acts chapter 10, Peter, the Cornelius came and bowed down to him, and he said, stand up, for I myself am also a man. And Acts, he, he, he refused the praise. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod sat on his throne and he accepted the praise and he was killed and eaten by worms. Brothers and sisters, you can ruin your preacher by puffing him up, amen? Love him, appreciate him, and encourage him. But don't puff him up. We're told that the scenes of Pentecost and the Advent movement will take place again with greater power. This is what we're told by our prophet through inspiration. Where do we find this power? Through a surrender of Christ first. But what about the pillars of continued revolution? Do they change over time? Do the pillars of revolution that took place in the book of Acts, do they change with our generation? Do we have revolution, evolution? I believe the answer to that today is astounding no. The same pillars, the same principles that they experience to receive and experience revolution, we must have the same today. Amen? Amen. And Paul charged these with Timothy before he left. And we're going to find today, we're going to take a look at those things which Paul charged Timothy with to keep the revolution alive. And I believe that these are things that will not just keep the revolution alive, but that will end the revolution. Amen? How many of you want that to end? 
We're going to look this morning at a very powerful passage. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. If you read through the book of Acts, Timothy is talked about multiple times. And this, at the end of the time of the book of Acts, Paul gives his charge to Timothy to keep the flames going. What is the power behind the power of the revolution? First, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy, and we're going to begin in chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 7. Are you there? 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, the Bible says, For God has not given us a spirit of what? Of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Ellen White says that those things will be repeated with great power. Verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. The what of God? (coughs) The power of God, it says. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul says that there's power in the what? Hello? The power in the gospel, Paul says. The everlasting gospel. The same gospel that we find in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and on. And friends, Paul says, do not be ashamed of what? Do not be ashamed. If you are not ashamed of something, it means that you are proud of it. Yes or no? Not proud in, a, in, a, in a, the wrong way, but in the right way. That you are happy, you are proud, you are thankful to be called a Christian. You are thankful, you are proud to be called a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Amen? Amen? We don't have to hide it, brothers and sisters. Paul says, do not be ashamed. There's revolutionary power in knowing who you are and who he is. Understanding our identity as God's last day people, Paul says that there's power in that. There's power in centering Christ in everything that we teach. Some people want to teach today that it's all just about the cross, and we don't need to focus on anything else. Have you ever heard heard somebody say that? But let me tell you what, friends, everything that we believe as Seventh-day Adventists is centered in the cross, but it's not only about the cross, it's about the everlasting gospel, amen? The three angels' messages, which is more than just the cross, but it is centered and rooted in the cross. How many of you are thankful today for the everlasting gospel? How many of you want, want to not be ashamed of the everlasting gospel? Amen. There's revolutionary power. When the gospel takes root in our lives, we will experience apostolic power and apostolic love. We need a return to apostolic love. How many of you believe that to be true today? Paul says that we're called with a holy calling, a sacred calling, a calling that can only be given by heaven. And it's time that as a group of young people, it's time that as a generation living in the last days, that we step up and rise to that holy calling. We must never be satisfied with being ordinary as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. God is not accepting ordinary things, ordinary commitments. We must be extraordinary by His grace and by His power. Amen? 
You may be ordinary without Christ, but you are extraordinary with Christ. Amen? Amen. Secondly, there's power in faithfulness. I want you to continue with me. We're going to look at several points through here. Verse 12 through 14. Paul says, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Paul challenges Timothy. He says, if you want to keep the revolution alive, there is revolutionary power in faithfulness today. How many of you believe that to be so? Faithfulness to Christ. Reflect back on your life how God has led you in times past. Remember how he answered divine prayers just at the right moment. Remember when God answered your prayer in the way that you didn't think he should, but when you looked back, you realized that it was his leading and it was his will, and his will turned out to be the best, not what you wanted. Remember the divine interventions and providences and moments in your life when God answered those prayers. Do not forget these things. Do not forget what Christ has done for you. Do not forget how God has been faithful to you down through your years. Be faithful to God's faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Do not turn back. Do not be discouraged. Be faithful to God even when others in the church are not. Be faithful to God when even your own family members may turn against you. Be faithful to God when you're by yourself and no one else is around just as much as you would when you're in the crowd at GYC. Only a faithful church can win sinners to God's last day church. History is littered with churches who have tried to compromise their faith, compromise their message, compromise their identity. History is littered with these churches at failed attempts to truly win the world to Christ through compromise. Do not compromise yourselves, young people. Do not compromise your Savior. Do not compromise His church. Do not compromise His message. But be faithful in all things. Amen? Amen. The youth are going to have to provide something that the older generation did not. The older generation, as much as we love them, have only gone halfway and revival and reformation. God will never accept half-hearted commitments. Did you hear what I said? God will never accept half-hearted commitments. He wants your whole heart, young people. He must have all of your energies, all of your strength, all of your mind, and all of your hearts. He will not accept half-hearted commitments. It's the halfway stuff that has sabotaged our church through the ages. It is the halfway commitments that is the reason we are still here today. I want you to notice this statement, very powerful, from the book Prophets and Kings, page 148. Very, very powerful statement here. It says, the whole universe is watching with inexpressible interest and the closing scenes of the great controversy between good and evil 
The people of God are nearing the borders of the eternal world. What can be of more importance to them that they be loyal to the God of heaven? All through the ages, God has had moral heroes, and He has them now. Those who are not ashamed to acknowledge themselves as His peculiar people. Brothers and sisters today, be faithful to Christ. We are nearing eternity, and we do not have time to be messing around anymore. By His grace, be faithful. Do not turn back, because where in the world are you going to go? but back to the world. It's up to you today. It's up to you today. It's in your hands. Thirdly, there is power in training and being trained by others. Please look with me in chapter 2 of Timothy. This is something that was very powerful throughout the Acts movement, throughout the book of Acts. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul says, Let's read verse 1 also. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. These commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There is power in discipleship in your local church. Young people, you must get involved in your local church. You must train and be trained. I talk to many young people today and they say the church isn't relevant anymore. You ever heard that argument? You ever heard people say that? The church is just not relevant anymore. It does not do anything for me. Maybe you've said that. If you say that the church isn't relevant, what you're really saying is that you are not relevant. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. And if the church isn't relevant anymore, then you are not relevant. It is God who decides the relevancy of His church, not you and not me. And let me tell you what, friends. God has placed, we are told, the highest esteem upon His church on this earth. Amen? How many of you can say, it needs to be louder than that, friends. The more you invest yourself in the local church, the more relevant it will become to you. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. Amen. Amen? That is when relevancy begins to take root in our hearts. When we invest ourselves in the local church, asking what the church can do for us instead of what we can do for the church, or like the 12 disciples standing there when Jesus ascended into heaven, gazing up into heaven, and the angels had to bring them back to attention, and they said, why do you stand there gazing? They didn't say this, but what they meant was, get yourselves to work. Some of us are just standing there gazing into heaven saying, oh, the church is just not relevant to me anymore. It's because you have not invested yourself in it. The more you invest yourself in it, the more you will come to love it as Christ loves it. It is his bride. And he will see it all the way through. 
The way the church functions the best is when people are investing themselves in a sacrificial way. When we start put, taking the focus off Christ and off His church and start putting it on ourselves, that's when problems begin. So why is it that so many of our churches have so many problems? Because we put the focus on ourselves and not on Him and not on His church. Young people cooperate with the church. Some people think it's too stiff to cooperate with the leadership of the church. Some people think that they need to do it their own way. But let me tell you something. When God's body meets together, Ellen White says is that it is as though God's voice is speaking on earth. And if it's the church body that has elected the church leadership, then it is our duty to work with that leadership and to come under, come under its authority. Some people think that they need to go off and do their own thing. Some people think that we need to take action. And guess what, friends? It may sound good on the outside, but that's exactly what Lucifer thought in heaven. We need to do things differently. We don't need to follow the current leadership. God has placed leadership in that position. King David said, I will not touch him, but Saul was seeking to take his life. And we think that we're going to rebel or go against the church leadership, to criticize them, to be negative. Some people in the church are more rebellious against the church and its leadership than they are against the world and the wickedness in their own hearts. Young people, work together with your pastors, elders and church leadership. Get yourself involved. Don't expect someone to hold you accountable, but you hold others accountable. Amen? In a loving, respectful way. Don't be afraid to hold godly people in the older generation accountable to mentor you. Go to them and say, I want you to mentor me. I want you to teach me what you know and how to avoid making mistakes. If there's one thing that older people know how to do, it's avoid making mistakes because they've made a lot in their lifetime. That's the best way to learn, amen? Don't be afraid. If you don't know what to do in your local church, do the work that lies the nearest. You go into your local church and you find that there's no greeter that Sabbath, grab those bulletins and start greeting. Amen. You find that there's nobody in the Sabbath school making comments, make comments in the Sabbath school. You find that there's a, a Sabbath school teacher who's overwhelmed because she's got twice as many kids that day. Go in there and help her. Do the work that lies the nearest, and then God will begin to use you more powerfully and more e- efficiently. Amen? Amen? If your pastor... Pastors sometimes get busy. Go to him and say, I want to do something. And ask him to teach you. Ask him to help you and put you to work. And remember, sometimes pastors get busy. So you may have to be like that persistent widow. And if your pastor still won't put you to work, move to Michigan. Transfer your membership to my church. And I will put you to work. Get involved, young people. Many of you are called to be leaders. There was a young lady in my church. I got to my church 
just this year, or last year now, February of last year. And about a week after I was in my church, I got an email from a young lady, 22 years old, and she said, the church is not relevant to me anymore. I've been studying. I don't think that the Adventist message is valid, and I'm wanting, asking you to drop my church. She says, I know it's your job as a pastor to pursue me. She says, but please don't. I just want my membership to be dropped. And I said, and I called her and I said, look, why are you doing this? She says, I just have been studying and I don't think that these things apply. We're free in the gospel. And I said, sister, I would like to meet with you. And she says, no, I don't think so. I said, listen, and I prayed in that moment. God gave me wisdom in that moment. I said, sister, if you found something that is the truth, and if the Adventist church is not the real church, then I also need to know so that I can leave too. Please meet with me and let's discuss this. And she said, okay, we'll meet. And so we met, she and I and my wife met for three hours. And at the end of that meeting, the Holy Spirit led. I give no credit to myself and all credit to God. I only give credit to myself when it doesn't work. (laughs) If it works, God gets the credit. Amen? Amen? And by the end of that time period... That young lady was in tears and she said, I will never leave the Adventist church. She became our youth leader and she's sitting right there on the fourth row at GYC here today. Amen. Amen. You're called to be leaders, young people. You may be busy with school. You may be busy with work. But remember the sacrifice. Remember the sacrifice. Don't take on so much that you lose your mind, but take on more than you think you're comfortable with and watch God work. He will do something great in you and through you. You think God can't use you? You should have heard my first sermon. I wrote this sermon out, and I stood up to preach, and I thought I was going to collapse. When it was time for me, I was praying. I was like, Lord, let the roof cave in or something, like during the children's story. I was like, don't hurt anybody, but like, (coughs) let there be a fire or something. And and I finally got up to preach, and I went up, and I sat my notes down, and I looked up, and and I was like this. I had to... And I sat there, and I read the sermon, and every 15 to 20 seconds, I would clear my throat. I was like... I would say like two or three sentences. And the whole time, all I could do is think about preachers like Mark Finley and all these different guys, how they would stand up and just preach to the people. And as I was reading my notes, I just kept having that thought in my mind. I said, I just want to preach like that. And I said, I'm going to look up and I'm just going to say whatever comes to mind. I'm going to push my notes aside. And so I looked up. And my mind went totally blank. (laughs) And I sat there for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And I was like, nothing's coming to my mind. And everybody just was just looking at me like. And so I just went right back down and started reading my notes again. (laughs) Young people, God will use you. You can only start where you're at. But God will do something powerful through you if you're willing to let Him. Go back home and tell your pastor, Pastor, I know you're not here every week. Let me preach for you on a week that you're not here. 
You may have never written a sermon in your life. There are plenty of books to teach you how. Don't be afraid. Trust God. Try God. And He will do something powerful. He's not looking for your ability. He's not looking for your eloquence. He's not looking for your excellence. He's just looking for your willingness. Amen. Be willing. Be willing. Test Him. Try Him. God is looking for young people who are not discouraged by lack of participation in the church or flattered by a pat on the back. But He's looking for people who are serious about having His presence in their hearts and in their church. Your local church, friends, is important. Resurrect the church. Complacency is the worst, is is like experiencing spiritual death. It is a death blow to all spiritual growth. Don't worry about what other people think. What other people think is none of your business. None of your business. The only one that matters is the God of heaven. Number four, there's revolutionary power in discipline and dedication. Please look with me in verse 3. Paul says, chapter 2, verse 3, "You You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. Young people, it's not going to be easy, but discipline yourself. There will be trials, but discipline yourself. There will be challenges, but discipline yourself. There will be discouragements, but discipline yourself. Look to Jesus. There will be times when you will feel like you are all alone. But look to your Savior because He can give you more strength than anyone else around you. Look to Him. Press through the darkness. Bust through the wall. Do whatever you have to do by the grace, the power, and the strength of God. But cling to Him and move forward. Don't walk away from problems that are bigger than your comfort. There will be a temptation. To walk away from the church. Many people face this today. There will be huge temptation to walk away from the church. Remember how God has led you. Remember the times He has done these things. And get on your knees and plead with God until you have a breakthrough. Do not walk away. Discipline yourself. I believe in God and His promise. Many times I have felt like walking away. But I trusted God and I pressed on. And I came out stronger by His grace on the other side. And you can too. Every disappointment is always God's divine appointment. If we're willing to stick with Him. Stick with Him, young people. Stick with the church. It may seem rocky at times, but God's going to see it through. Discipline yourselves to walk step by step with Jesus through that with prayer and fasting. He will bring you out on the other side. You must be disciplined. You must be focused. There is revolutionary power in Christ-centered holiness. Look with me in verses 19. We're going to look only at verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal... The Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Brothers and sisters today, any concept of grace 
that is introduced into our church that makes us feel comfortable about sin is not biblical grace. Sin is not just breaking the law of God. It is breaking His heart. And He pleads with us today to lay it down. I want to love Jesus enough to say no to sin. How about you? We are not merely called to preach the character of Christ through the three angels' messages, but we are called to possess it. Amen? And by the grace of God, we can. Not in our own strength, but in His strength. I don't want to just be more like Jesus. I want to be just like Jesus. Don't beat yourself up, friends, when you fall. But get up and run to Jesus. Get up and run to Jesus. The deeper we fall in love with Jesus, the more we will fall out of love with the world. If you want to know Jesus, you have to know all of Him not just the part that you want to. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He will complete the work that He has done in us. And the battle is not to the swift or to the strong, but to the one who gains the mastery over himself. Young people, Christ wants to remove the sin of your life. He wants to give you power over it. Christ's life is our righteousness. Christ's death is our pardon. But Christ in the heavenly sanctuary is our power over sin. And if you will come to Him day by day, moment by moment, He will give you power. He will make you holy. He will make you like Himself. Somebody once wrote, I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want as much go- so much gospel that I learn to re- really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself do not want to be inconvenienced by the same. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving greatly, too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of gospel, please. Does that fit some of us? Here today, brothers and sisters, Christ wants your whole heart. I want the whole Bible to be my book. I want the whole Christ to be my Savior. And I want Him to have my whole heart. How about you this morning? There is power, revolutionary power, in servant leadership. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 24. The Bible says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to do His will. 
The Bible talks about what it takes to be a leader, not somebody who is bossy, not somebody who is directing, not somebody who is pushy, but somebody who is gentle and patient and able to teach all. Amen? Somebody who is able to be compassionate and loving, but at the same time unflinchingly unwilling to compromise principle. God is calling you to be a leader. True leadership trains leaders. It does not suppress others for its own advancement. It is not threatened by talent, success, or ideas of other people. True leadership surrounds itself with those who have the potential to do greater things than itself because Jesus said, greater things will you do than what you have seen me do. It does not view itself as the only one who can do anything because Jesus himself said, I and myself can do nothing. It is willing to step down when God's will shows it and willing to step up when God's will calls for it. It is patient and loving, leading with gentleness, yet holy firmness and determination. Godly leadership leads others upward in its decisions. There is no honor in higher position young people, only a greater responsibility to serve. Do not think that you're something because God's church elects you to an office. Do not think that you're something because you are a GYC officer. Do not think that you're something because you are in some leadership position that God has called you to. When you rise to higher leadership, you are called to higher higher servanthood. Amen? Put others above yourself. Be godly leaders, even when you're not called to be a leader. Much of the older generation, young people, do not expect much from you, and I would say for good reason. Because many of us have lived up to the lower expectation. Do not satisfy, be satisfied with mediocrity, but rise to the call of God in your life. Prove them wrong. Live for the higher calling. Live for the higher expectation. Be leaders, young people, not followers. The world needs leaders to lead them to Christ. The church needs leaders who will lift Christ and Christ alone. Be that leader. God is calling you. Number seven, we're going to pass by because we've already talked about it, but you can write the text down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. There's revolutionary power in a commitment to Scripture and your devotional life. This was crucial in the life of the Acts of the Apostles. Paul said, I die how often? I die daily. Those who are willing to be crucified each day. We're going to move on to the last one. Number eight. There's revolutionary power in proclaiming God's last day message. Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and at His kingdom, preach the Word. I thought you would say amen. I thought it would be louder than that. I still thought it would be louder. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time, let me just, I'm not changing the Bible, friends, but let me just make a little adjustment here. The time has come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. You have a calling to ministry, and God has called you to preach the Word, not just from your lips, but in your lives. Preach the Word. Be a living Word. Be a living epistle, like Paul says. Do not fluff up the truth. Do not puff up the truth. But preach the truth with power. Do not puff it up or... Let me just see what I said. Do not fluff it up or puff it up, but lift it up. Amen? Amen? That is what we're called to do. Be faithful, young people, and you will receive a crown of life. God is fulfilling prophecy through GYC. And He has called you to come along for the ride. But He doesn't just want to fulfill prophecy at GYC. He wants to fulfill it in your life wherever you are at home, in your local church, at your university in your home, wherever you are. (coughs) Very powerful statement here. It says, there is no limits to the usefulness of one who putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God, enduring the necessary discipline imposed by the Lord without complaining or fainting by the way. I said it yesterday and I'll say it again today. If you are willing to get yourself out of your life, God will fulfill the book of Acts through your life. He will finish the revolution in you and then through you. Philip Brooks said, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but pray for power equal to your tasks. Amen? God wants to use you today, young people, in a remarkable way, in a most powerful way. He wants to end the revolution. He wants to end the great controversy. He wants to end the sickness of this world through your lives. Will you not stand and be the light? Will you not stand and show Christ to the world? Will you not stand and carry His gospel into all the world? Will you not be filled with His Holy Spirit? Will you not be completely surrendered to Him? Will you not be completely committed to His will for you? I want to tell you a story as we close. We have a picture here, I believe, if they can put it up there. When I was in Ukraine just a few years ago, there was a young lady who was coming to my meetings. Her name was Vera. There she is. Vera was 17 years old, 17 years old. And she was 
ready to give up on God. She was going to leave God, and she was go- any concept of God, she was going to move to another town, and she was going to get a boyfriend and get a job, and she was just going to live life for herself. <clears throat> and she had some kind of back injury, and she had to come to the particular town where we were at to receive treatments. And the doctor said, I cannot treat you until four months because I have so many patients. And so she had to wait for four months. At the end of those four months, she was in town for a doctor's visit, and our meetings were starting that Friday night. Isn't it amazing how God will arrange things, friends? As she was walking down the street to her doctor's appointment, one of our students came by and gave her an invitation to the seminar. She looked at it and she said, Huh, since I'm going to be in town anyway, maybe I should go ahead and attend these meetings and I'm going to give God one final opportunity. One final opportunity. And so she came to the meetings and she came every single night. Every single night. And her life was radically changed. There was one particular night when she was walking across the street and there was a car coming at her. And she looked up just in time to see it almost strike her. And she said, Lord Jesus, please help me. That's all the time she had. And she said, that car stopped right in front of her, one inch from striking her. That night she gave her heart wholly to Jesus. And she was baptized. You saw the picture. But she didn't stop there. She was traveling 50 kilometers back and forth to the meetings by bus every night. The next day she came and she brought her mother with her. And her mother attended the meetings. And she was also baptized. She went and knocked on the door. We have a picture of this as well. She went and knocked on the door and actually met a man who was elderly man. You see him there. His name is Eugene. And he's holding a newspaper in his hand. And this man was declared to have deathly cancer. And the doctor said to him, go home and get prepared to die because we can't do anything for you. He said, that's not good enough for me. He went home and he opened his Bible and he began to pray. And they said he would be dead in three months. And that picture was taken 15 years later. That newspaper clip he held in his hand was an article that they wrote about him. She brought him to the meetings and he gave his life to Christ and was baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That fall, she came to our school as a student and she brought her sister to the meetings and her sister was baptized. 17 years old, this girl. Then after she finished the school, she went back to her local church and she began to teach classes on how to give Bible studies to about 40 young people. And to this day, she's a faithful worker in Ukraine. If God can do that through a young person, what can He do through you? What can He do in you, young people? Don't go home and just be the same. You've received the training at GYC. You've received the message. You've received the inspiration. Go home and do something. I have to close. But I have to read this quote. It is so powerful. And this is my appeal to you today. I'm going to ask when I put it on the screen. Acts of the Apostles, page 507. It says... What the church needs in these days of peril is an army of workers who, like Paul, have educated themselves for usefulness, 
who have a deep experience in the things of God and who are filled with earnestness and zeal. Sanctified, self-sacrificing men and women are needed. Men who will not shun trial and responsibility. Men who are brave and true. Men in whose hearts Christ is formed, the hope of glory. And who will with lips touched by holy fire will preach the word. For want of such workers, the cause of God languishes and fatal errors like a deadly poison taint the morals and blight the hopes of a large part of the human race. Notice this last paragraph. As the faithful, toil-worn standard bearers are offering up their lives for the truth's sake, who will come forward to take their place? Will our young men accept the trust holy trust at the hands of their fathers? Are they prepared to fill the vacancies made by the death of the faithful? Will you rise, young people, amidst, will you answer the call to duty amidst a world that is perishing? Will you answer the call? Will you end the revolution, not continue it? It is up to you today. My appeal this morning is very simple. If you want to end the revolution and enter into eternity with God, surrender your life to Him today. Answer the call of duty. Answer the call of service. Answer the call of holiness and righteousness. And let nothing stand in your way. Maybe this weekend... There's been something that God has been pricking in your heart all weekend. And you've continued day after day, appeal after appeal, to resist that thing in your heart. Maybe you have said, no God, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. But today is the last day. This may be the last sermon that some of you will ever hear. Would you not surrender that thing to God in your heart today? And answer his call to end the revolution. My sister is going to sing. And as she sings, if you want to make that commitment with your life, if you want to lay down all, I'm going to invite you wherever you are to get up out of your seat and come down right here and say, Jesus, the answer is yes. Today, Jesus, my life is yours. Today, my heart is consecrated to you. Young people, will you rise? Will you answer the call of those who have gone before you? This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.